the intricacies of reading. Let's play with the sounds inside the words. Play. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid. I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicky. I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Hello, Mom. Hello, Ingrid. How's it going there? It's going pretty good. Good. When technology works. Yes. That's the deal for everyone today. Work, play, education. It only works as much as your Wi-Fi and your Zoom work. Yeah. It's, I feel like my computer and my phone are my prized possessions, like my security blanket right now. Yeah. I carry them around the house and I think, oh, okay, I'm done with that project. And then I'm like, ugh, my next project is also on the computer. Still on the computer. <laughs> I work with clients on reading and learning skills. And sometimes I work with distance learning. And if the Wi-Fi is unstable, it becomes very frustrating and difficult to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, that's actually a good introduction for our, our topic today, because we're going to talk about education again mm-hmm. in a different little realm. Here's another podcast for people who have young kids in their lives. Mm -hmm. Mom is an expert and becoming more and more of an expert, a master, if you will, at (laughs) the intricacies of reading, learning how to read. You have some awesome, they're not, I don't know, new ideas to the world, but they're newer to me about different ways to think about reading instead of just like words and reading. And I know that we have a lot of stories to tell from my experience as a young child with slightly slow processing skills and some dyslexia. And we have lots of other stories since I'm mm-hmm. teaching a kindergartner now, and that's what you do too. Yep. It seemed a fitting and appropriate topic to us and hopefully will encourage parents who mm-hmm. are facing this for the first time with their children or uh, teachers, just a reminder. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The pro- progression of learning. So... We have um, standards. You just read about state standards and uh, skill level standards. And it's, it's helpful to remember that those are progressive and how far down and the little micro steps you take in each standard level. Yeah. Yeah, it is does definitely build on each other. And I think especially when you're starting from such a young age, it is difficult. We mentioned this a little bit last week. It's difficult as an adult sometimes to remember That there's things that we didn't know because they come so naturally to us now. I think about that most when I'm thinking about math teachers, just because I have encountered quite a few math teachers in my life that are such good mathematicians, but don't remember how to break it down Mm. for someone who that doesn't come naturally to. But the same is actually true with reading. So much of reading, I have found it's, it's easy as an adult to sort of just begin with, okay, like, let's read this simple kids book together. And then if you get to a word you don't know, I'll just whisper it to you and then you'll say it and then we'll keep going. But that is actually, that's so sweet as maybe like a bedtime, comfortable, I'm not asking you to grow your knowledge space, but there's actually some really helpful tools that are rather different from that to give the child enough tools to do their own work and and grow themselves. A little bit of learning how to learn versus just learning the knowledge. Yeah. And the amount of patience 
it requires to get to that level without just feeding the answer to a, a child. And so what I have experienced a lot in my life is uh, people, adults becoming impatient and then feeding the answer mm. to a child. And then the child becomes, it's called learned helplessness when they know that they, they just have this pattern in their head that if they wait long enough, somebody will give them the answer. But then they, they don't, try as much themselves and then their frustration threshold gets lower and lower and then their parents patience gets lower you know I know it's it's like kind of a self-fulfilling circle yeah so one thing that I learned from the Stoll Learning Center is called the learning continuum which is like a ladder so if you picture a ladder academic skills which is where reading is is way like the third rung of the ladder so and Mm -hmm. or the fourth rung of the ladder below that is executive function skills below that is processing skills and below that is core learning skills okay so when we learn if we ask people to step up to the academic level yeah and those other three rungs of the ladder aren't solid then we're asking them to take a really high step and you have stepped on like one of those box jump things oh, yeah. that is really high up. It takes so much effort. Yeah. And kids can do that for maybe a short sprint, but it's too hard to keep doing that. Right. And then they fatigue and then they start to look like they're inattentive and scattered where maybe it's just that their brain is so fatigued because it's taking so much energy to focus on something that is really beyond their skill level right yeah I mean I think that's true for everyone anytime that I try to do something yeah that's new for me you have to do it in small steps so instead of having them jump all the way up there what are some like baby steps can you create a separate ladder that helps them crawl up to academia yeah, well, you just back go st- backwards down the steps. So you start at the core learning skill level. So the core learning skill level is uh, all the body, ready bodies, learning minds, which we kind of talked about last mm-hmm. time. So can you integrate your left and the right hemisphere of your brain by doing the standing cross crawl? Can you mm-hmm. balance on one foot? Can you turn in a circle both directions? Mm. Can you be on your hands and knees and look to one side and then look to the other without bending your arms oh interesting because if you have to bend your arms then your nervous system is not stable huh yeah it can't like differentiate between the the different limbs of your body so fast Exactly. So that is a a reflex that we have that infants have. Infants have these different reflexes and it's to protect them. So their arm, they do something called a fencing pose. Their arm pops out when they hear something and they look towards it. Oh, it's brilliant that they do that because what they're doing, they're protecting their face. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's totally innate survival mode. Yeah, it's a reflex. Yeah. Those reflexes in within about the first year of life should integrate into your body. And you should be able to mm-hmm. hear where a sound is coming in space. It's your proprioceptive system. It, and uh-huh. b- 
be able to tell where that sound is coming and look to it confidently, knowing how close or far it is that you don't have to protect yourself. I see. So your auditory nervous system yeah. gets more tuned to how far away is something, all those things. And you need to sort of wake up those skills before you look at letters? Well, page. it's funny. It doesn't seem related, but it's totally related because when you hear words... Ah. You you have to be able to hear the sounds in the word to think about the sounds in the word and then when and then you have to so that's the first level right there. So you have to yeah. be able to think about the sounds in the word that you hear. And and yes. then after that's called phonemic awareness. Because a phoneme is the sound of a letter? Yeah, it's the smallest unit of sounds in in words that we have okay so usually they're single letters there's 41 phonemes though Mm -hmm. oh yeah because a can say a and a and that's two uh no um i'm thinking of like or ch or sh so those are called consonant digraphs so two letters making one sound that is its own phoneme yes what are other examples of phonemes well, single letters like k, p, d, a, b. Okay. Yeah. So but you're would, right. But a, I guess a isn't a phoneme because it's also the name of the letter. Uh no no that is a phoneme. It so is. You're right. oh, okay. You're, oh, okay. So okay. so when you talk about long vowels and short vowels, mm-hmm. those are phonemes. Yes. Got it. And and the sound a is coded seven different ways. <laughs> Which is not easy to spell in English. Right. And coded is just like all the different letter combinations that could make that up. Exactly. So the code. Yeah. Our alphabet is a code we use to explain the sounds in our mouth. Yeah. You mentioned the symbols. Yeah. Same, it's just like numbers are a code for explaining amounts of objects in space. Yeah. So we use written symbols yeah. to rep- represent the sounds we're making. Oh, amazing. <laughs> when we so- see, think of cave drawings, yeah. we saw pictures. So they use pictures to represent the sounds we're making. The Chinese language, Mandarin, uses symbols to represent, I think, right. whole words. Yeah, or ideas. That's as far as I know about Mandarin. But yeah. <laughs> In English, we use symbols to represent sounds. Yeah, okay. And what we have to learn is that there is like 41 different symbols. Uh, no, there's more than... There's 41 different sounds and there's... We only use 26 symbols. Well, there's 26 symbols, but there's more than 26 symbol combinations to make those sounds. Because like I said, there's seven codes for A. Oh, yeah. So I can't... I don't know the number of letter combinations because it's quite high (laughs) oh my gosh it must be insane but that is a really helpful way honestly to just like remind myself how difficult English is as a language if you're just learning it for the first time yeah because it would be even it would be a lot more in the front end maybe as like a list to memorize it would be so much simpler if each phoneme had one code that's why other you, languages like spanish are way easier to are write way easier they're way easier Versus to write to write right yeah, yeah yeah so so even for a native Eng- english speaker like 
a two-year-old in America. <laughs> By the time they get to five, there's just as much of a hurdle to figure out, to, to I guess, like, use those 26 letters and be able to correctly attach the combination of those letters to the phoneme they hear yeah. in the word depending on the context of the other phonemes around it. So here's a funny story about you when you were little. Okay. Which you'll laugh at, you'll remember. We went <laughs> to Target one time, and we found uh-huh. this alarm clock that was oh, a yes. train alarm clock. It was super cute. Yeah. And you pushed the button, and it said... Well, it said in real life... No, 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 no. What it said, this is what your okay. little, your, your brain heard. I heard, do Demi, all aboard. <laughs> and I was like, why would it say that? That's not, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I think it was do like Demi? a whole year before I told you that that's what I knew that it meant. It was said. It was a while of me like think, hearing, do Demi, all aboard, until I finally like yeah. said it out loud. What was the Mary Poppins song where you said, oh, similarly. Tinky Rabo. Tinky Rabo, which is kick your knees up, step in time. Kick your knees up, step in time. Tinky Rabo, step in time. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, see, we just, like, changed it because we were silly children. But Dudemi was, like, really earnest. I thought that's what it said. Oh, you were adamant. <laughs> you were obstinate that oh, that man. is what it said. And... So that's called phonemic awareness. The phonemes in your head put together to say do demi. And it didn't matter that it wasn't English. It was like, whatever. Well, yeah, also because I was five. Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, I, I spoke. I had the English spo- spoken language, but right. I guess I just didn't have enough context. Like, there are so many words still in my life that I didn't know the words. Yeah. Didn't know the meaning of that it made sense that there'd be another word that I didn't know the meaning of. This must be a word. So when we speak it, it and that's why kids are silent at first because they're learning mm. word units. When we when we hear another language, we can't tell where one word ends and one word begins. True. So when you're learning phonemic awareness, you have to be able to tell where one word ends and another word begins. And before you've seen the symbols, mm-hmm. your brain doesn't really know. And you, you, when you learn to talk, eventually you learn that those are two words. So what is the real word that it's <laughs> It really said, good morning, all aboard. <laughs> Which makes so much more sense. Exactly. That's what you would say when you try to get up. But it was, I mean, obviously it was this like very small speaker mm-hmm. and it was a very deep voice conductor. Mm-hmm. Somehow, yeah, that didn't translate in my mind. I wonder how, so how would I have spelled Dudemi? <laughs> I don't know. Kindergarten. I guess now I would have spelled it D-U, new word, D-E-M-I. But that also is because I have practice in, in coding phonemes because I doubt that as a five-year-old I would have said do is spelled d-u you probably would have said d-o-d-e-m-y altogether one d-o not d-o-o you might have said d-o-o by kindergarten you might have because ooh is an o but I maybe I wouldn't have known that yeah 
Because it also could have been D-E-W, but that's a, a more advanced phone. Yeah, that's too. unlikely that you would have seen that. The only reason you would have spelling understanding is from reading books. So kindergartners have read a limited amount of books, but they need to see the words on the page. But it's really fun yeah. to read. If a kindergartner or a first grader, really a first grader, also is asked to just do a free write, that's the kindergartners wouldn't really be asked to, but a first grader might be asked to do a free write. It's hilarious to read your spelling will be it's totally hilarious and actually I have a um a sort of acquaintance who is a kindergarten teacher um in Tennessee we went to the same education classes in school and she posts like little excerpts from her kids homework every once in a while you know names crossed off all those things because it is hilarious and it makes sense it's like yeah I guess you're right if I was thinking about that word without knowing any other context for it. Like, you got all the sounds, I guess. So I just would love to ask the question of the writers of the dictionary, the English dictionary. Right. 200, Webster, 200 sir. plus years ago. Uh, how did they come up with so many different spellings? And why did they choose? Why did they choose so many different ways to code the sound A, for instance? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think a lot of that would actually have to be asked to the uh, whoever created a written language for British English or the the, mm-hmm. the, the English of the United Kingdom first. I, I do. I don't know if this is a fact or a myth. The the story that Webster, when he created the American Dictionary, specifically changed spelling so that we weren't the same as the UK. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that's a funny story. Which is why things like color is C-O-L-O-R in American instead of C-O-L-O-U-R in United Kingdom. So obstinate, so American. Yeah, so it's crazy and super frustrating. That's phoneme analysis. So I have a question then because we've walked into this space that I didn't know about, which is that spelling comes later. Yes. I always assumed that the reason that we talk about phonemic awareness in order to read was so that we could kind of like immediately know how to spell words. But what I'm hearing from you is actually that you work with children a lot for a while, reading a word using its phony, like being able to correctly say words on a page before you ever ask them to hear something and write it down to spell it. Yeah, well... That's what I'm learning about literacy. So literacy needs to be sequential and you need to have phoneme analysis first. Anyone who becomes a successful reader, there are a few people that are successful readers without having extensive phoneme analysis, but all readers will be better readers if they understand the phonemes in the word. Because you have to think about the sounds you hear before you're able to write them down, if you're going to write on your own. Yeah. So what is one of the first activities you do with a child to like begin assessing their phonemic awareness? Well, I'll say, I'm going to say a word to you, and I want you to tell me the sounds in the word. So if I say the word set, tell me the sounds you hear in the word. Set. Yeah. And then you have to get the vowel right. You have to know that the I is different than the E and the A. Those three vowels sound a lot alike. Mm -hmm. So and then 
And would you just do that auditorially, like back and forth? You're just saying words and then they're saying it back. You're not looking at yes at any piece of paper with any symbol on it. Initially, yes, because okay. we learn auditorily. Some people will argue and say we learn visually and we always use our mm-hmm. visual memory. But what we're doing is we're learning we have a visual memory of the sounds of letter strings of, of a chain of letters. Sure. So you have a visual memory of the chain a N which is Anne. And any time yeah. you put a consonant in front of it, you don't have to think about it very much because you know what that letter string Anne says. So every time you see mm-hmm. Anne, it's going to say Anne and then you're going to do the rhyming words. So plan, right. pan, stan, man, can. Yeah. You can change the consonant in front. But for someone that has a hard time with phoneme analysis, they have to like think about does a N, always say Anne. <laughs> yes, it always says Anne. But that's true because so many other combinations do not always say that. Yeah, that's sound segmenting right there. Phoneme seg- segmenting. So I said a word and you, you segmented it. You took it apart. Okay. And then there. Yep. And it does seem like if a first, if someone was doing that to begin with, a child, they probably wouldn't be able to, they might not actually separate out s- et. Right away, they might say set right, or not realize that those are actually yeah. three sounds. So if I say um, put, mm-hmm. they might say p. Well, they might say put. Yeah, a lot of people... Because p sounds like it's just a p. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. A lot of people put that the u or the a vowel connected to the first letter in front of it. Which does make sense coming from musical theater because when you are like learning diction i mean this is later in life but if you are learning diction for musical theater you specifically actually we say we specifically like phonate the the consonant to make it heard but to the end of the auditorium which we wouldn't do in real life so in real life we just say tub we just say tub Mm -hmm. i don't even know how to do it without being musical theater but in musical theater you'd say tub which basically puts an U or an A at the end. Uh, B at the it's end. It's a very like B. Yeah. So it's easy to say B is the sound for B, but it's not quite that pronounced. Right. So I tell people when I'm teaching them the vowels, we have the five vowels plus the Y, sometimes right. Y. So sometimes five, y. five vowels are always noisy sounds. And I teach them oh. to think about how sounds feel in their mouth. This is phoneme analysis. So if they have a hard time making sounds, I teach them how to think about the sounds in their mouth. And I teach them if they're noisy, if you can feel your throat vibrating when you when you say a sound. So all vowels are voiced. All, all vowels are noisy. So they carry the sound. So if you were going to say the letter P by itself, yeah. P is actually a quiet sound. And I said, we wouldn't hear that sound unless we carried it with a vowel afterward. Yeah. It's hard to hear. So the vowels have a big job. Uh (laughs) They're always noisy. Yeah. That's kind of fun to teach people about that. So then that sound segmenting, and then I would do this opposite. I'd do the sound blending. So I'm going to say the word pan, and I want you to tell me each sound in the word. That's segmenting. Oh, I'm going to say the three sounds blending right i'm going to say the three sounds and you blend them together so if i say t op what is that word top right top yes 
And that's really hard to do. It's really hard to blend sound. And then you get to consonant blends. And consonant blends is quite complex. So if I was going to say stop. 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 Right. So understanding that those first two letters are individual sounds is really hard. And then you get to the digraph, TH. And those you just have to memorize, right? Yeah, you have to... Like, you just have to remember in your head that TH together because there's no combination of T that gets to... No. And so (laughs) the digraph is is voiced and unvoiced. So sometimes it's like this or that. Mm. And sometimes it's not voiced like three or think. Oh, geez. This one is a really good one to teach people how your mouth works because so many young people... Okay use they make a f sound of instead of especially for the quiet yes and so i teach them it's called a tongue cooler you stick your tongue through your teeth and you blow air over it and Mm -hmm. you make it really exaggerated when you're little so stick your tongue way out yeah you're just like (laughs) spitting everywhere and the but the hard part is the it's the quiet tongue cooler that people say incorrectly. They say it with a f sound instead. Mm-hmm. You often, in many words, the next sound that you make is an er sound, like three. So you've heard a lot of people oh. say free instead of the number three. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't pay attention to it. Now, if their parents corrected them when they were really little, it would be so much easier. To say stick, but it stick sounds so out. cute when they're really little. Yeah, they think they don't. Oh, do that's it. cute. Uh, they're saying the free wrong. Yeah, and then it becomes hard to change by the time they get yeah. to be in kindergarten at age five. Hmm. So these concepts are in lots of reading programs. The um, Linda Mood Bell reading program is the first program that I heard it in and also learning rx and the pace program processing and cognitive enhancement all talk about how does the mouth the sound feel in your mouth Mm -hmm. when you're saying it and it 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 makes it a lot easier for kids to understand and then I use from then on I use the label I say show me your tongue it's a tongue cooler stick your tongue out mm-hmm. but when you say the er sound afterwards your tongue has to pull back really fast and lift up in the back and that's why it's hard to do yeah it was just feeling that and that's why it's easier to do F because when you're doing an F your tongue is already pulled back so that your teeth can go on your bottom leg yes yep yep you're right, right there yeah, to teach the mechanics of how a sound feels, that's what speech pathologists will do. So if you have a really difficult yeah. time with speech, speech pathologists right. will do that. This is, I think, so helpful and hopefully really exciting for listeners whose children are young or are teachers. Because, But it's, I think especially for parents because I it doesn't occur to me, at least, that so much of reading begins without a book or letters in front of you that it is just like the mm-hmm. the physical and these like auditory tools that you then of course build on the rest of your life and that is the level of breaking something down that is so hard to do once it comes naturally to you yeah but it is also the thing i think that could become pretty easy to incorporate into 
a parent's life when they're reading with a kid mm-hmm. or talking with a kid. Mm-hmm. Because in a classroom, maybe not this year, this year is a weird year for classrooms, mm-hmm. but in general, you have 20 to 26 kids to interact with all at once and you have to like go to all of their needs and they're all of their different reading needs. And so for better, well, for worse, phonemic work doesn't happen so consistently in the classroom. Right. Right. You're like learning that as you take your master's classes right now. And there are lots of conversations we can have about how to make that better in our education system. But I'm just excited that we get to have this conversation and put it out into the world basically as a tool for a parent to say, regardless of what's happening at school, which is always going to be helpful and in a lot, you know, you like work with the school. Mm -hmm. But I at home can start with my four-year-old just in a kind of fun little game, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Set, set, Uh just those those kinds of, um, that could be a car game. You're just talking back and forth. So it's nice to know that talking even just as that is something that's like doable and really, really fundamentally helpful for a child. Yeah. When I work with clients, I talk about let's play with the sounds inside the words. Play. Yeah. The whole reason this is important is if you accidentally omit or add a sound in a word when you're reading, your comprehension of what you just read could be totally different. Right. If I say plan without the o, what does it become? Pan. Right. And if I accidentally omit the O and I read a sentence, this is the pan we're going to the store. I'm thinking, what does that mean? But I dropped the O and if I read it correctly, it would be this is the plan we're going to the store. And so often children and adults pass by words (laughs) that they don't totally know and just think, all right, like it'll make sense. I'm just going to keep going in the context of the story. I'm reading Pride and Prejudice right now. And pretty often there is mm-hmm. a word that's just used. Like I'll, I'll be able to understand the word. They use the word condescending a lot in Pride and Prejudice. But mm-hmm. it means something mm-hmm. totally different. It's not patronizing. It's not a bad thing. I think condescension is like mm-hmm. a, a con- I think, because I haven't looked it up, is like it's like a kindness from a person in a high wealthy stance to someone who is sort of asking for their approval. But again, mm-hmm. I... I have never, like, looked it up or really gotten into the comprehension of that word in this context because mm-hmm. I've just relied on the rest of the story to get me through. And But mm-hmm. that's dangerous when it's a small child, especially in elementary school, just to, like, yeah. think that they can get by and then not actually grasp pretty foundational portions of our language. Yeah, so another thing that people do is they will switch the letters around and not recognize it and you've run across this before when people write was for saw or saw for was people oftentimes will write saw for was or they'll read saw for was and not catch themselves and then i know that i do that because of dyslexia but like why does that happen (laughs) well our brain just switches it sometimes and if we're not aware but we can train ourselves to be aware of when we do it so that we read it correctly and we don't miscall it or we correct if we do miscall it we correct ourselves afterwards and we read it correctly sometimes we read totally out of order because we're looking at the whole line and so sometimes we will say a a whole word 
in front of another word because we're looking at the whole line rather than reading from left to right. It's kind of a ch challenge when you start to read faster and you recognize, well, I can see the whole page yeah. at the time. Why can't I just like read it? But then you read mm -hmm. the words in a jumbled order. So you have to be able to mm -hmm. slow down your brain and your processing speed has to be in sync with reading from left to right. I do that all the time. I, I truly all the time. I also will um, accidentally jump one word from the prior yeah. line into yeah. the current line. And all of a sudden there's a knot in the middle of my sentence. <laughs> what? And I have to go back and read the two yeah. lines again. The, the best... I don't know if it's arguable. I think it's just a fact. The best learning around is when you can learn how to learn. Yeah. And that is what, what this is. It's the, the ability to have enough tools in your foundational tool basket that you can catch yourself and sort of like talk yourself through under, to get to understanding regardless of what you're reading yeah. or looking at. Yeah. So those are the foundational elements of reading phonemic awareness and it's really in, important and central <laughs> to being able to read successfully being able to comprehend the reason we read is for comprehension and we want to be able to read and we want to be able to express yeah. ourselves and have other people read our thoughts because yeah our thoughts were valuable and we have valuable things that we think and we want to say and so, and we have to have that common language and the common spelling to be able to understand that. So I think it all comes together. Here, here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for talking about this, Mom. I certainly learned a lot as much as I've heard little stories. It's nice to have it mm. all in one place. So thank you for explaining the very beginning of reading. It is. It's a kind of. I'm. I'm. A, my soapbox and my passion right now is is to um, do the phonemic awareness for literacy for successful kids because kids who can read end up staying in school and then they have a more likelihood of launching successfully in life. Yeah. And kids that that struggle with that, the converse is it's also true deal. statistically yeah. in the United States. All right. Well, happy, happy reading. Happy Ingrid. reading. Happy phonemic awareness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question or share your mom daughter story, please email us at hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. That's hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. All words hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.